Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. All right, guys, we have a fun one today as I catch up with the co-founder of Under Consideration and the brand new blog, Armand Vitt. We'll talk about how Illustrator 88 led him into his career in design and how he and his wife managed to run their blog properties, international design conferences, and still find time to occasionally do client work. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. We are at Obsessed Show, and I'm at Josh Miles. While you're at it, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to Obsessed with Design. We'd love to have a rating from you, and you can help others find the show. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Armin Vitt. Hey guys, today I'd like to welcome the co-founder of Under Consideration, Armin Vitt. Armin, thank you so much for being on Obsessed with the Design. Thank you for having me. So I think, Armin, we met in person very briefly at your very first uh, brand new conference in New York City when we were promoting our little iHeart Logos side project. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So before we get too far into brand new and under consideration, I'd like to learn a little bit about your uh, origin story as a designer. So tell me about how you got into design or corporate identity. Well, I'll try to make it as brief as possible because it goes back all the way to high school. Um, I was a really terrible student in high school. I barely graduated. I mean, I graduated because I had to, and that's what my parents expected me to do. Um, <laughs> I had no ambitions to study anything that required writing essays or taking tests or memorizing things. Um, so up until literally halfway through my senior year in high school, I had no idea what I was going to do. But prior to that, my dad, who's uh, he's a businessman, but he used to be a, he uh, studied mathematics and physics, and he was always into computers. And then, like in the early '90s, he had bought a uh, one of the first Macs, brought it home, was really intrigued by the graphic user interface, uh, got into Illustrator, which was Adobe Illustrator '88 at the time, <laughs> and. He started learning about graphic design and got into it. And then and she, he had a, he had his own business, which had which was he inherited from my granddad, which was selling pharmaceutical products. So nothing too creative by any means. Um, so he got into graphic design, and then he decided that he was going to go back to college at age, uh, whatever it was, like forty five to go to study graphic design in the mornings, go to work, come home for dinner, um, then go back to night classes, then do homework, and then repeat every single day. And then he started buying magazines and books on graphic design and started bringing in homework to the house. And I was see, you know, watching him do like little you know, posters and illustrations. I thought, hey, that looks like something I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like the, the path of least resistance into <laughs> earning a, a degree. And it wasn't until, it was like two years into the program. It was a four-year graphic design program all the way. There was like no liberal arts. There was nothing, no majors, minors. It was just graphic design all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was 1995 to 99. We were still, I think I was one of the last generations at my school that was taught 
how to do everything by hand, uh, just mm-hmm. because we had no computers, or we had five and we had to share them. So you know, we still did a lot of things by hand. Um, and it was only, it was only until two years in that I thought, oh, you know, I'm actually enjoying this and I'm sort of good at it. Uh, so I'm just going to stick with it and do it right. And you know, from there, you know, right after college, I got a, my first job in Atlanta, Georgia, working at a large internet consultancy because I, you know, there was so many. This was all in Mexico City, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so got a job in working at a large internet consultancy because they were handing out jobs to anyone that could at least open Photoshop or Flash, uh, which <laughs> I could. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, the from, Flash designers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so from there, from there, I just got and got more and more into it. And the more I practiced, the more I enjoyed it. The more I started working with clients, the better I got at doing things and understanding things. So I think it was like in Chicago when I got my second job. That's when I just thought, this is really, really awesome. Like I can do this for a living for a really long time. And it's gonna be great. And then I just got more into it as the years went on. So was that first consulting job in Mexico City, was that with March 1st then, or was that when you moved to the States? That's when I moved to the States, yeah. So just coincidentally, of course, we'll be airing this in a few weeks, but uh, we're recording today on March 1st. So I thought <laughs> <Yeah>. that was <laughs> interesting coincidence. So how did you um, go from Mexico City to a uh, you know, job in Chicago to landing a gig at Pentagram? Um, also, I'll try to make it brief because it also goes back to Mexico. I met, I had met my girlfriend at the time in Mexico. She was also studying graphic design and she was at a different college, but then like midway through it, she decided that she didn't like it. So after doing some research, she ended up going to portfolio center in Atlanta, Georgia. And I still had a year left of school and she had been my only actual girlfriend in all of my life. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I, I need to stick to this one just because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get another another one. So <laughs> I followed her to Atlanta. That's where I got the job at March 1st. Um, then she finished school and then we both went to Chicago and I was working at a really small design firm compared to, especially compared to March 1st, where we were 300 people in, in one office. So it was very hands-on. Uh, but we also didn't have a lot of clients. So it was a fairly uh, flexible job in the sense that for, it was from nine to five and then that's it. Um, and then being in Chicago, the winters get cold. You don't want to go mm-hmm. out too much. And then that's when I started doing the uh, blog Speak Up in 2003. And through that blog, I met Michael Beirut from Pentagram. Um, so we kind of like establish a, a relationship based on you know, the fact that he enjoyed my blog, the fact that I geeked out about him enjoying my blog. Uh, so there was like no, no, none of that first initial friction where when you meet someone that they, all they think is that you, they, you want to work for them and they're trying to figure out a way to just like avoid that conversation at all costs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just struck up a, a decent friendship and stayed in touch by email and then eventually i did you know who doesn't want to work for pentagram so eventually we decided that we <laughs> wanted to move to new york and michael was the first person that i emailed and talked to and said like look i want to we're moving to new york and i really want to work at pentagram and by then i already had like four or five years professional experience and he said like look it's not going to work out because we usually hire younger designers and they just stay on. And right now I have plenty of senior designers. 
on my team. So I took another job in New York um, at a firm called Decor Design, and I was there for six months. And then <clears throat> out of nowhere, Michael sent me an email saying, like, two of my my two senior designers just left. Do you want a job? <laughs> like, oh, wow. yeah, yes, please. And it was all just because he had never seen my portfolio. I mean, he it was just based on um, what he had seen me write on Speak Up and kind of like just the aesthetics of speak up and my understand like he's he's perceived uh what he perceived as my understanding of design so it was a really weird way of getting a job at pentagram which i don't think many people can replicate yeah that's <laughs> that's very cool yeah so i i was an early reader of speak up but but you didn't have that same uh concentrated focus like like brand new does today that's more pure identity uh critique or criticism how did you how did you find your way into that swim lane well it came directly from speak up so part of what made speak up uh, attractive in the first place it was that it was general graphic design discussions and there was more it was like it was meant to be like really meaty hearty discussions about graphic design and whoever was the original writer of a post would write like this long not a really long essay but something beyond you know five paragraphs um and then the comments would go into the hundreds 150 mm-hmm. and the comments were like really really long yeah almost like posts in of themselves yeah 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 so people took it really really seriously and then UPS redesigned back, I think it was in 2004. Mm-hmm. So when they went from the Paul Rand logo to what it is now. And it was the first time we ever posted about a logo and the comments just exploded. Um, it was just like, uh, you know, n- no one had had a place before to talk about logos and, you know, all the comments that we now are used to, there was no mm-hmm. place for that. So it happened on Speak Up. <laughs> but, you know, the reaction at the time was like, you know, let's, our discussions should be more than I like it, I don't like it, this this sucks, this doesn't suck. Um, so there was um, apprehension on Speak Up to have logo redesigned posts because people thought they were not worthy of Speak Up. And this wasn't me, it was just like the audience. They were just like, this is not mm-hmm. um, what Speak Up should be about. And I just thought, fine, I'll just start another blog that's all about um, logo discussions because we had had... After UPS, then there was VH1, United Way. Uh, the London 2012 um, mm-hmm. Olympics logo happened on Speak Up. Um, so it kind of like sense that there was a lot of, uh, or, or enough content out there on identity redesigns that it could be its own blog. And then that way no one could complain. There's like, if you like, if you want to talk about logos and say how much you like one or the, how much you like it or not, then this is the place to be. If you want to keep doing what you're doing on speak up, speak up will remain here. Um, And then, so I think we, I started brand new in 2006 and maybe we would have three posts a week. um, And then slowly just snowballed into what it is today, where I literally have things on queue for months. Like there's so much, so many logo redesigns nowadays that it's, um, the content is really endless. Yeah. So, and, you know, fast forward to today and, you know, I would really consider you and what you're doing with brand new as probably the leading, leading voice in brand identity criticism. Did you ever think that would happen when you started speak up? 
No, not at all. And I mean, there's like you always have ambitions to that that what you write has meaning to someone else or that, you know, they think nicely of what you write or that they agree or that they find some value in it. Um, and I think that's that's what I what people see brand new uh, now. I mean, they respect they people are interested in my opinion, whether they respect they respect it or not or whether I agree with it or not, you know, mm. that's kind of like a question for, you know, to each his own. Uh, and that I'm completely fine with it. So I think it's more the the fact that it's a consistent voice, that I'm there every single day, no matter what. Um, and it's just, I still have a hard time taking my commentary too seriously because it's still we're just we're still just commenting about logos i mean and i've (laughs) I've never thought of myself as a critic like an art critic or a food critic even i mean i've always maintained that i'm more of a sports commentator just calling the plays as i see them and i just happen to have watched too many games and i know what the plays are like and you know like I provide some colorful commentary when it's necessary. I get excited when it's necessary, and I get, uh, you know, upset when when it when it's deserved. So um, I still see it as a, this somewhat lighthearted approach to writing about design. Yeah, and for any of our listeners out there who've not ever checked out brand new before, I think what's great about it, and what I think a lot of readers appreciate about your take, like you're saying, is. I feel like you can definitely read your voice into things and it, it never takes itself too seriously, even though I, I feel like you you cover some some serious design topics as much as, you know, aesthetics and, you know, form and function can be serious. I, I think you do have a very serious approach to it, but I, you clearly have fun writing those posts and definitely um, are enjoyable to read as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So between all of your blog properties, uh, the brand new conference, the awards, you've got a few things going on. So what, tell us about like what maybe a typical day or typical week looks like, uh, in your household working between all of those things. Yeah. So, uh, also just to clarify to not to clarify but just to explain our situation is um it's only me under consideration it's just me and my wife that you know the girlfriend that i followed to atlanta uh she became my wife and <laughs> so partner. it worked out yeah it worked out it, it paid off so it's me and her and we have two daughters we work from home there is literally no division between um work and life uh, other i mean other than a door because the our office is what the main bedroom used to be in the house that we bought here in austin so <laughs> you know it's really really i mean you you could even say that it's not very professional but it works for us mm-hmm. um, so the way it works is that we wake up at five in the morning um that's when i write the brand new posts so they're always uh like freshly baked each morning. Like I never prepare mm-hmm. five posts in a row because you never know what's going to break, what kind of news is going to break overnight or during the day. Um, so I'll write that in the morning. Uh, FPO and Quipsology, it's an art of the menu. Those we, for those blogs, we do prepare content as we have time. So, you know, I might devote a day to writing five out of the menu posts or two or three FPOs. Brian does more of the FPOs. Quipsologies is also like a daily thing that I'll do at night where it's just like, you know, take half an hour to look through the blogs that I follow and see what's interesting. 
Uh, then our kids wake up at 6.20, not a minute before, not a minute after. <laughs> we, we have a really militaristic uh, agenda in the morning and at night and whenever the kids are involved so that we're able to you know, get the work done but still be able to hang out with them. Uh, so they wake up at 6.20, we get them ready for school, we take them to school, and then we usually go out for a run. Uh, then we're ready back to work at 9, 9 to... You know, usually like 9 to 9.30 is like social media time, which is amazing how long it takes. Just repeating the posts that I put on brand new and all the blogs and saying, going on Twitter and say like, this is what we posted today. Going on Facebook, this is what we posted today in case you missed it in two of the other places. Um, but it takes a long time. So that's like a thing that now takes, I have to uh, schedule for. Um, and then, you know, from, nine, from like 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., I'll be working on whatever project we have is active at the moment or needs to be prepared to be, to become active. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> right now, for example, I'm working on the, you know, designing the website for the brand new conference in Amsterdam. So that's what takes up most of my day. And then I'll do other things in between. Uh, and I can only work on one thing at a time. It's not like, like when I was at Pentagram um, and we had multiple projects going on at the same time, I could work on, two, three things a day, depending on, you know, what kind of like the deadlines were. But here it's more like I do one thing, I finish it, move on to the next. So it's, it's nice. There's a nice continuity to that. So you want to give us any hints about what the, uh, what the new conference identity is going to look like for Amsterdam? It's going to have a shitload of X's. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's really a lot of X's. So it'll, it'll be fun. Um, I, I, I hope it's, it'll be fun. Um, and then from five, actually uh, from five to six, I'll start answering emails because we get, I get so many emails that it's kind of crazy. Um, then from six to like 8 PM, it's dinner and hanging out with the kids, then put them to bed and then go back to you know, 8.30 to 9.30, sometimes then just writing emails. And then sometimes I'll do some prep work for the brand new posts. So it's like... I still end up working like the same eight to 10 hours that most people work, but I just, you know, split them out throughout the day in weird ways. And then like in the span of a week, you will, like I said, it just depends on what we're prepping for. And that will, I will just focus on that and then try to get it out, you know, try to get it done as soon as possible. Cool. And then of course, in your great expanse of free time, you're also doing some consulting work. I know you mentioned, to me previously that you were working uh, on recently working on the brain pickings blog, which is, you know, massive and um, you know, all the, the good stuff that Maria Popova puts out. Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> client work. Um, and I wouldn't say I do it on, we do it on our free time because really free time is for, you know, cooking. That's where the free time goes <laughs> or like folding laundry or taking the dog for a walk or a run. Um, so Client work, we literally have to shoehorn it in between all of our projects. Um, and we'll take on client work when it's either really interesting where, or it pays really well. Uh, and ideally, it's both. But, you know, every, we all mm -hmm. know that we have to choose between one or the other. Sure. Um, and Brain Peakings was one where it, may, it met both uh, um, standards of that you know it was a well, good paying job and it was also a very interesting project just because <clears throat> it's a website that would you know i've been reading for a long time and the challenge of doing something 
with a larger readership than what we have. That was very interesting. And then also working with someone that's also a single person uh, or an individual managing mm-hmm. something rather big uh, and learning, kind of like getting a glimpse of how she does it and what kind of things uh, she obsesses about and seeing what I could learn from her way of doing things to our blogs, uh, for our blogs, um, because she's doing something right. Uh, so it's it was a really good opportunity to get a peek behind the curtain on some on a blog on a website like that, and also get a chance to do something nicer, something that evolves that side into something uh, more visual interesting. And I was amazed at how positive the re- the reception to it was. Like I expected some uh, backlash to uh, such a massive website mm, changing. Right. But it was surprisingly positive. People liked it. Uh, and even people that I hadn't heard from, they were like, oh, my God, I saw that you redesigned the uh, brain pickings. That's awesome. So you know, it, it was nice to be involved with that one. Awesome. Congratulations. Obviously, Maria's obsessed with a few things herself. Um, and a lot of the designers that we've interviewed, of course, with the theme of the, the show here is being obsessed with design. So I'm curious what you feel like you're most obsessed with right now. You know, I'm really obsessed with graphic design in general, um, almost to a point where anything else will bore me a little bit too much. Um, I I just really get into seeing what other designers are doing. And it's not because it's uh, it looks pretty or anything. I just really enjoy seeing how other people solve other problems. And I'm always looking at work in a way that is like deconstructing it a little bit to see, right, something in the way that they did it or some kind of illustration or some kind of uh, visual mechanism that they used is really interesting. And how can I apply that to someone to something else? So it's almost like uh, I, I see it almost like a like a chef having to be tasting food all the time mm-hmm. and grabbing little ideas here and there for their own food. Um, and again, it's not that we design a lot, but when we design, we like to make it, you know, look interesting. And because we're designing for designers, uh, we have to kind of like push things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the only way to be able to do that, uh, because I've always held, kind of like thought that I'm not really talented. That's a, like Jessica Hish is talented. I mean, they all, she also works hard, but there are certain people that have kind of like a graphic talent and i don't think i have that that but what i can do is like look at design uh, design approaches and then turn those on their head or figure out a way to do those things differently and the only way that i can do that is by looking at a lot of graphic design so you know as as boring as it sounds graphic design is my obsession cool right there with you but i think as many um amazing brands as you have I guess, had the opportunity to review and, you know, the, the details that you've got to pay attention to, to be able to write those posts the way that you do. I would imagine you, you almost feel like you've been involved in a lot of those projects. Um, so I'm curious, you know, between your own consulting work or kind of thinking down the road, are there any particular dream clients or, you know, any of those, rebrands that you've looked at and thought, man, I'd, I'd love to get my hands on something like that. What would, what would that be for you? You know, I, it, it would be Uline, the shipping mm. materials company. I just, because we, we order a lot of stuff from them and it's just the fact that there are so many products and, you know, 
the potential to do something so cool of you know a lot of one color applications on all those boxes all those bags uh, and it's not that they have a bad identity you know it, what they have is perfectly fine and it works and it looks fa- decent but it could be so so amazing and uh, you know like the challenge of designing a system that has to apply to so many things um, mm-hmm. i think that would be like really an amazing project but I'm just thinking back to I think it was the uh, Chicago brand new conference when when OCD was talking about is it the is it the logo or is it the system, which was a really fun <laughs> talk. Yeah. But um, say if the uh, you know the vice president of marketing or chief marketing officer from from Uline is listening, be sure and uh, hit up Armin and see what he could do with your brand. Yeah, especially if they have a a good budget for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who wouldn't like that? So what do you think you'll be doing, I don't know, 10 years from now? You know, I, I owe every year we question how much longer we can do what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And like with Speak Up, there was a point like two, three years in where I, where I, where I thought like this is not going to last more than another three years. And I, I just kind of like sense that it wasn't going to happen. So, and it didn't. It like speak up died kind of like almost to the date where I thought it would. Um, but brand new, for example, I see, I could see it going on for a really long time just because for as long as there are companies and products and services, they're going to keep redesigning. Um, and I think there's, it's just an interesting, it's just something that people enjoy. I enjoy it. It's a weird way to make a living. Uh, but it beats going to meetings and it beats, uh, you know, uh, being on conference calls. So I, I, I have a certain comfort in doing that for a really long time. Um, you know, the conference, the, com- the brand new conference, I think it has, again, I think that as, as long as the profession keeps evolving and new people start, co- you know, come in and I think that also can go on for a long time. And it's something that we really enjoy doing. So, you know, if that goes on for another 10 years, 10, 20 years, I'll be happy doing, we'll be happy doing that. Um, beyond that, I mean, I would like, I would really love to <laughs> kind of like relax a little bit more mm-hmm. and have more peace of mind in turn financially. Like we do fine, but because we're in such a weird, um, you know, we don't have a, a steady stream of client work. We're always relying on, you know, people coming to our conference or reading our blogs or buying the things that we're making. And you never know when something is going to work or not. So it'd be nice to find some sort of, uh, you know, comfortable knowing where the money is going to come from and just be able to do it without having to worry about that so much. Um, but other than that, I'm happy being a graphic designer. I enjoy being a, around other graphic designers. You know, I, being being kind of like a, and I, I don't like using the word curator because that it you know it implies a certain snobbery that we don't really have. Uh, but I enjoy kind of like putting together content for other people to enjoy that I think will be enjoyable. And that's, again, like that's a good way to make a living. So if I can keep doing that for the next 20 years, I'll be happy. Cool. You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, the the challenges of, of running this kind of business. 
what do you do when you, you hit a tough spot or, you know, you're down on yourself or you're not, not feeling good about a, how a project's going, where, where do you go to kind of shake that off? Or how do you, how do you kind of change your mindset? I don't think there's, um, I don't think I have a happy place. I mean, I think I have a really sad place <laughs> where I go to and I think <laughs> about all the worst possible outcomes. And one of those outcomes is like me having to get a job and having to like put on a nice pants and a shirt every day and going to work and commuting. I think like no fucking way, uh, you know, like <laughs> I'm going to do whatever it takes to not have to do that. And God, you know, I don't have anything about against people that do that. I did it for a long time and I enjoyed it. But now, um, you know, the way that I, how we're set up, is just really flexible and awesome mm -hmm. and enjoyable that I couldn't see myself going back to that. So I think more than recharging or, re, you know, reigniting the fuel, it's just like a reminder that what we have going on is a pretty good deal and I better figure out a way to keep that going. Um, so, for example, like with the brand new conference that we're doing in Amsterdam this year, um, back in, I think back in August of last year, me and my and Bryony sat down and we're like, because we also plan out we're, and try to think about where money is going to come from and how we're going to spend our time. And we we noticed that we had uh, kind of like a big hole for like spring of this year where there was nothing, there was, there was no money coming in. Um, usually the for the brand new conference that we do in September, you know, we'll see a lot of money coming in in June and July with all the people buying tickets. But there was nothing in April. And we thought, so how can we replicate some of the financial success of the brand new conference and the emotional reward that it brings mm -hmm. and fill that hole. And we thought, how about we just do it in Amsterdam and uh, figure out a way to do it. And it, it wasn't really something that it was a passion that we had. It was more like, holy shit, we need money. <laughs> and what do, what, what do we do well that we know will work will work and will pay off like, hey mm -hmm. we were very good at this brand new conference thing so let's uh bring it somewhere else where we have a big audience that we assume they're going to come and we hope that they're coming and at the same time challenge ourselves to do something that we haven't done because we thought about a, a conference in europe for a few years but you know, it just seemed like really scary to do it overseas and the financial aspect of it and the tax aspect of it. And then at some point, we're just like, screw it, let's just figure it out. And I literally Googled, why, how do I pay taxes in the Netherlands as an American? And it led me to some association that, you know, bridges American businesses with a uh, Dutch business, with a uh, you know, kind of like the Dutch uh, financial system. And mm -hmm. They say, yeah, just write to these lawyers and accountants and they'll hook you up with a VAT number and that's all you need. And I said, like, really, yes. that's all I need? Like, yeah, all right, let's do it. <laughs> um, so obviously there's more paperwork to it than that. But, you know, the moment that you need to do something, you just find ways to make it happen and find ways to get over the kind of like the fear of the unknown. So where do you find... Uh inspiration for some of these things i'm i'm curious first of all like how you landed on amsterdam but also kind of curious how you really delve into the process of developing an identity for one of these conferences um the first part of the question it, it was mostly a matter of uh, process 
process of elimination. Mm -hmm. At first, we wanted uh, to do it in Berlin. And it had to be spring. And then we realized that uh, Type of Berlin, which is a really big conference, happens in May. Oh. So we're like, all right, not Berlin. We don't want to compete against them. And it wasn't so much that we didn't want to compete. It's just like it doesn't make sense. Like it's too too much of the same. Yeah, sure. And they have too much of a stronghold there to for us to make a significant dent and offer something of you know of interest to you know to people in Germany, which is the main audience of Type of Berlin. Then we thought, right, how about London? Well, London is really expensive, so that's not gonna work. And then we thought about Barcelona. But that's like a little bit too far down in Europe where it's not central enough. Mm-hmm. And then then we thought, all right, how about Amsterdam? And then Bryony has a cousin in Amsterdam that's sort of a designer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was able to point us in, a, you know, give us a little bit of um, lay of the land and what she thought. And then we're like, fine, let's just settle in Amsterdam. Bryony flew out to Amsterdam to look at venues. She looked at five. Uh, you know, we'd like two of them. As for prices, one of them was too expensive. The other one was fine. And then you go with that. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it is just kind of like looking at your options, seeing what's going to work, what's not. And not settling, but, you know, what is the, where, where can you get the most out of what you have available? And mm-hmm. Amsterdam has a great design community. We also... <laughs> After we booked the place, we started learning about a few other design conferences in Amsterdam. But luckily, they're a little bit different than ours. Like there's one called What Design Can Do. So that's a little bit more social minded. And Mm. there's the next web conference that's happening uh, in March. And there's another one called FITC, I think. And because at first we wanted to, like we thought, Right. For the U.S. conference, we bring Europeans. So for the Europe conference, we have to bring Americans. And our first, uh, one of our first choices or top choices was Draplin. But Draplin just spoke there last week, and we learned mm-hmm. about that conference because we want to have Draplin. So you know, you kind of like learn some of these things just by by what you're looking for. And then in terms of the second question of how. You know, where does inspiration comes come from for the identities for the conference? Which, you know, I think they're um they're they're interesting and they're fun to make. They're a little bit outside of the normal scope of what designers do, just because it's such a weird, you know, where we are our own clients, our audience is graphic designers, so it's not like designing packaging for shampoo or corporate <laughs> identities. <laughs> so we have a lot more um freedom and you know flexibility in what we can do but at the same time because our audience are graphic designers we feel a responsibility to do something that either the designers haven't seen before or haven't considered mm-hmm. or it's just like too weird for anyone else to <laughs> even attempt to do it you know like we could look like the how conference um which looks like nothing i mean and and it, it's a great conference, but the identity is just kind of like really, really bland. I mean, for a conference for designers, like, come on, you need to step it up. So uh, part of the our mission with the conference is to do something that stands out on its own and keeps us entertained for a few months of the year. Well, I know our whole office, every time we see a wiggle now, we go back to the, <laughs> the wiggle song. Yeah, so a lot of it is really, I'm just, like I said, I'm always looking at graphic design and... 
I could literally point to five things of each of the conference identities that I saw somewhere else. And that doesn't mean that I copied something, but it means that I saw a way of doing things or I saw a typeface that when mixed in a different way yields a whole other result that could be interesting. So, Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there's like local inspiration, like with Chicago, which is really dumb that, you know, for Chicago, we use the font Chicago, like that's not <laughs> very local, but like a really, it, it's one of those things where like, it's so dumb, no, no one should do it. But then we just did it because, you know, it's a joke that designers would get. <laughs> so we just look for little things, little uh, glimmers of cleverness like that. And we just try to do them in an interesting way. And, you know, we go through a lot of explorations or even uh, ideas where, you know, like I see it always more as uh, kind of like trying to figure out the combination for a lock or like, all right, I have one, like one number or one ingredient, which is a certain typeface. What, what else can I pair it with that will create an interesting combination that will open this up? So that's, that's like a weird metaphor to use, but it's more, for me, it's more about trying and thinking about different outcomes rather than waiting for an aha moment with like you know i see a cloud go by like oh yeah i should use chicago for chicago <laughs> like no you know i'm like scrolling through a fun menu and it's like oh chicago comes up that's where we're going there it is so yeah it's it's kind of like very unexciting uh and very it, it doesn't make for a great story of uh, you know Let's gather around the fire, around the fire, and I'll tell you some stories about being inspired in graphic design. It really, for me, doesn't happen like that. It seems to me almost like one of those Food Network shows where they they don't get to pick what the ingredients are, and then they have to make a dish. I think it, yeah, you know, it, like how do you yeah, make something amazing from all these things that don't feel like they are supposed to go together? Yeah, and I find that you know that's part of. Uh, I think that that a lot of it is that we're like we see something that we like, or we're given something like, all right, let's figure out what we can do with this that, you know, no one else would do. Cool. Well, I've just got three more quick questions sure. for you. So, and maybe this is an easy one to answer, a really tough one, but what do you think has been the most uh, broadly panned or hated? redesign on brand new that you have really been excited about or thought was brilliant uh i think the airbnb logo i think i thought that was i still think it's probably one of the best logos not in terms of how it looks or what it means or what it represents but they actually were able to find a somewhat abstract shape that also works as an a works as a heart Mm -hmm. They were able to find an icon in an a, in a in an era where it's impossible to find kind of like a novel icon to use, and mm-hmm. the fact that so people were like, "Oh, it looks like boobs, it looks like balls, it looks like a vagina," like just get over it, people. Like you know, we're not, <laughs> you know, and I I'm juvenile when you know when it with many things, but this, I thought that got a little bit out of hand, and even people that usually had a you know you think are good have a good uh head on their shoulders they're like oh it looks like um you know the genitalia like no it's a nay it's a heart like get over it um <laughs> so i was really happy i was really happy to go to be one of the first to say all right get over it and look at it for what it is 
and be mm-hmm. excited about it. Not forcing people to be excited about it, but like really acknowledge how good this is and how difficult it is to do something like this in the year 2013 or 14, whenever it was released. I had the pleasure of interviewing Paula Sher a couple of days ago, and she was talking about, you know, the, the chief challenge with these identities is that they kind of have to be out there for a while before you know if it worked or not. And I think that's, that's one of those good examples that, you know, will Airbnb stand the test of time? And, and I think that's a good example. Yeah. And I think the fact that they just, uh, they were, they, you know, to their credit, they, they stuck with it. I mean, they, they could have easily said like, Oh, sorry, we take it back. Oh yeah. Uh, but now they gap and just yeah. do over. Yeah. So, you know, I give them a lot of credit for sticking to it. So Armin, we haven't really talked about your teaching experience at all, but I'm, I'm sure as you've worked with um, young designers and students and just uh, coworkers and other people, what do you feel like is some of the, either the best advice that you've received or the, the best advice that you like to give out to young designers? Oh, um, well, I'm not sure. I think, uh, I think the best advice to give any, any young designer is just, you know, right now you suck. Eventually you're going to suck a little less <laughs> if you just keep practicing. I mean, practice is everything. People don't think of graphic design, you know, like a basketball player has to go out and shoot a thousand free throws Mm-hmm. before they get to a high percentage of, uh, you know, a high free throw percentage where, you know, they go up to the line and you make the basket. That's how you have to think about graphic design. You just have to practice um, so that when you get called up to the line and you get a client, you you can deliver consistently. It's not always going to be 100% great, but if you can hit, you know, 70%, 80% of, uh, you know, something good, then, then that's pretty great. And uh, I, that's why... You know, when people complain, when designers complain that designers doing fake projects just for their own sake is a waste of time, that's like absolute bullshit. I mean, that's that's how you practice. They're what they're doing is they're they're saying like, if I had the chance, if I had no um, restrictions, if I could think about this in my own way, this is what I would do. And it might be terrible, it might be great, but just going through that exercise is what allows you to then kind of like develop an approach that you can apply to actual client work. Yeah. So get out and practice. That's great. Um, Well, before we let you go here, tell us about where um, our listeners can go to learn more about with you or connect online or, you know, somewhere they can go to give you money. (laughs) <laughs> the, the best place to start is uh, underconsideration.com, which is our main, this is like our parent company website that will lead you to all the different places. Uh, we're, we recently redesigned our website uh, with a typeface that many people find unreadable, but we find absolutely enjoyable and it's challenging <laughs> in how it challenges readability. So if, if you get to under consideration and can't, find your way around, just like click on links and eventually you land on either brand new or the brand new conference. And uh, there's plenty of pictures there to guide you, guide you through what's the most uh, relevant at the moment. Very cool. So uh, best way to, for people to connect with you is just through the comments section of, uh, of the blog. Actually, no, I don't really read the comments that much. I'll read a little bit in the morning and then, you know, I'll read the first 10, 20 comments and then people will be like, oh, Armin is an asshole. And then I will never know. 
because I don't read the, <laughs> the comments uh, later, later in the day. It's probably for the best. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, at, at UCLLC or at Armin Vitt, um, you know, I, I'm available all day. I have Twitter open all day long. I get distracted by it plenty. So, you know, you can hit me like that. Cool. Well, we'll definitely uh, link up to all of that in the show notes, Armin. I really appreciate what you do, especially with brand new. And uh, I appreciate so much you being on the show. And thank you for being obsessed with design. All right, guys. Show number 10 is officially in the books. Thank you so much for joining us today for my chat with Armin Vitt. And head on over to obsessedshow.com to get all of the links and notes and things that we talked about today. We'll have all of that in the show notes. Also, don't forget to visit iTunes and subscribe to The Obsessed Show and follow us on Twitter at Obsessed Show. And I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed Show is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located 13 floors above Monument Circle in the heart of downtown Indianapolis. Check us out online at milesherndon.com. And thank you so much to our friend, Cassie Joe for providing her song Matchbox Girl that you're hearing right now and at the intro of our podcast. We're going to be giving away a few of Cassie's CDs, so be sure and tweet at us this week at obsessedshow.com and say you want to be entered to win one of Cassie's EPs. Want to hear more interviews like this one? Tweet at Josh Miles and tell me who you think I should interview next. Catch you next week.